We've had a, a great weekend this weekend. Uh, we've had a, our Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage seminar Friday night and Saturday. The place was just filled with couples from all over the state that came together. We sold out so many in the first service, we decided to do a second event. So we started a second one last night. We're going to finish it again Tonight, if you were at the first Friday night and weren't able to get here Saturday, you can come tonight to get the second half. Uh, and again, the place will be filled with couples. We're so excited uh, uh, for, for that event. We had a great time. As I was thinking, good night, that's a lot of talking for me. And then I got to preach two sermons. And at the beginning of this week, I thought, what was I thinking? And I quick got on the phone and I called my brother Eddie and said, can you come up here and preach for me, man, because I'm going to be fried. And uh, he was able to move some things around. So he's able to be here this morning. We love it when he comes. He is a phenomenal Bible teacher. Open your heart. Let's give a hand to Pastor Ed as he comes. Let's stand together. Father, we come to you this morning with hope and we come to you this morning with openness and we ask you to do some stuff in us, mess with how we think, change up what needs to be changed up in us so that we can walk out of this house reflecting you to a world that needs help. God, help us be the light to the world, dispelling darkness. Help us be salt so that we preserve our world from further rot and make things through us a little tastier. We ask you in the name of Jesus to use us and speak to us this morning. Amen. Amen. God be seated. I have a fairly disturbing message this morning, one that is uh, bigger than me and one that messes with me pretty consistently. I want to talk to you about loving people. One fellow said it so well, he said, the better I get to know some people, the more I like my dog. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that because there's something in us that sort of wants to push off of people. Not really everyone, just the ones that aren't exactly like us. There's something in us that wants to back off people that act in ways or live in ways that are offensive to us. And the closer you get to Christ and the more open you become to him, you start wanting to embrace certain practices and ideas and ideals that oftentimes push you off from others. And there's a kind of a sequestering that happens in our souls as believers. We pull back and we want to live holy lives, which means different lives. And sometimes we have a difficult time understanding how do we disconnect from the lifestyles of those outside of Christ and still be engaged with people outside of Christ and involved and interact with people outside of Christ. Because there's something in us that wants to reject and get angry about the way other people act. And yet the scripture is clear that one of the first evidences of us crossing, crossing the threshold of faith has to do with how we view not just God, but other people. Here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life. How do we know that there's been a transition in our souls? How do we know that really that we've experienced Christ in the human soul? He says, We know we've passed from death to life because we love people. There's something in us that starts to love and value others. Paul talks about how before he encountered Christ that he used to love people or look at people. In in, in 2 Corinthians 5 he says, quote, after the flesh. In other words, he would react to them based on how they looked, how they conducted themselves, what they acted like. And all of us are like that. But, But what it calls us to in the scripture is once we have an encounter with Christ, we no longer judge people after the flesh. We begin to see them with a different set of eyes. We begin to realize that the people that are around us, every one of them, 
mean Jesus to God. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what he paid to be able to connect with people. I want to tell you a horrible story. I don't want to tell you it, but I'm going to tell you it. I'm sitting in a restaurant with two other pastors. La Crosse, Wisconsin. This was a long time ago. And back in the early 80s. And I'm sitting there and this guy walks in. It's a Chinese restaurant. And this guy walks in. And he had earrings you know, or, you know, all along his ears. And he, had, he, he was an albino. He was completely white. His eyes were that, you know, different color. And uh, very thin, and he had tattoos on him, and 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 he w- he, he had uh, uh, like leather coat on, and kind of motorcycle looking guy. He had a couple of gals with him, long hair. They were equally interesting looking, and uh, they were in both arms. And he strutted into that restaurant, and I'm telling you, they were a sight to behold. And I'm sitting, these two pastors are facing me, and I looked up and I caught this guy in my eye, and I did a rubberneck. You know, I'm thinking, what in the world? I mean, this is, I mean it, it's a lot less common then than it is now to see people dressing differently, that kind of thing. Well, my, you know, my first kind of reaction, I hate telling you this, my first kind of reaction was, holy cow, hey, 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 guys, 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 look, 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 look. <laughs> and I said something, oh, I, I, I don't want to tell you this, I'll let you confess your sins after this, but I said to them, I wonder how many, wonder, wonder many diseases that guy's got. And when I said that, I heard in my heart, he's worth Jesus to me. What's he worth to you? And I was stunned. And I asked those guys to, for, to forgive me. And I started a journey in my soul of stop reacting to people because of how they look and how they treat me. And to start realizing that the, mat, the, the, the center of the matter, the heart of the matter for believers is that we're not representing, out representing ourselves. We're out representing the person of Jesus Christ. And we're out showing people what God is like. And if we don't take our lives seriously and the interactions we have seriously, we miss the point. Because God isn't just interested in what happens Sunday mornings. God really does care about where you live and what you do and who you interact with. And his calling in our lives is to represent him to a dying world and to somehow let him flash through us. And it's a supernatural thing, this business of letting God splash through us to other people and beginning to celebrate and love people the way he's called us to do. It isn't something that we can do on our own. In fact, in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 43, Jesus challenges us. He says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. He says, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. I'm telling you to let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond, not with hardness, but respond with the energies of prayer. Because then you'll work out of your true selves, that part that's encountered God, that love has entered in because it's the first sign of passing from death to life, that there's love there. He says, work out of your true selves, your God-created selves, this love. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sunshine to warm the world, the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, the good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. He says, if you do, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you just simply say hello to people who greet you or are nice to you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, 
You just don't belong to yourself. You matter. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. We're talking about moving towards people and loving people that you would rather move from. Uh, whether, uh, you know, it's clear that they're doing something that you don't want to be around. You start wanting to steer clear from them, but instead you move toward them. Sometimes it's someone close like a spouse or, or a teenage son or daughter. Or sometimes it's a co-worker that, that's doing something that's hurting you. Or a neighbor who's in your proximity that's acting badly or meanly or rudely. But as believers in Jesus, we're to, we're to be armed with love. And armed with compassion. And armed with mercy. And we're to move toward people in the rough and tumble of our day. Why? Because we've been touched by the power of God. And the life of God. You know, we do have disagreements. And even though we move toward people, it doesn't mean everything's okay. But it means that there's something more important than everything being okay. If you are walking along with a friend and you're arguing about something and you're beginning to get into a pretty intense argument and it seems like you're hurting each other's feelings and maybe it's ratcheting up just another notch and you turn the corners, you're walking and you run into a car accident where somebody is laying there dead, you know what would happen to you? You'd forget about the argument because something bigger, something life and deathish has come into your purview and somehow it changes not what happened but the perspective of what happened your whole perspective changes see somehow we're to walk in life and realize no matter how much we wrestle and how much we're in disagreement or how much someone offends us we have to come around the corner and face the cross that Jesus died to bring peace so that we understand the first order of things is that people matter and that we're to love them we still need to work our stuff out Right, But working the stuff out is not as important as celebrating each other and setting value and preciousness on each other because Jesus has done something in our souls. Amen. Right, So here we have Romans 5 talks about how God gives us his supernatural ability to do this. It says, and hope doesn't disappoint because God himself has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Listen. I don't think it's possible for us on our own to just make a decision to love people more. I think it's very natural with the minute that people do bad things that we want to back off of them. And the minute they act in certain ways that are offensive, we turn from them. Very natural. But we're not just called to be natural people. Christianity isn't just a religion like all the other religions. We're not Buddhists. We're not Christians like Hindus are Buddhists or Buddhists. We're not Christians like Hindus are Hindus. We're not, we're not just people that embrace these ideas and try to practice them to try to get close to God. Christianity isn't so much about people trying to act and figure out God as it is God coming to us and doing something in us that's metaphysical, that's supernatural. That's powerful. That's life-altering. And somehow, when we come to Christ and we open our heart to Christ, He messes with us. He pours His love into us. It says in Galatians 5 and verse 22, But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in other words, the result of this interaction of us opening ourselves to the person of God. This is the why of prayer. This is the why of worship in church. This is the why we, we, we study the scriptures. It's not because we're trying to perform or do religious stuff. It's because... Because in those moments, when we push into prayer, we push into worship, we're having an otherly experience with some actual being, a divine being, God himself. And in that interaction, as our souls sort of calibrate and open ourselves to him and we worship him or adore him, he messes with us. 
And the way he messes with us is he starts to cause love to be in us when we really don't want to love. He causes, he says here, that that the result of the Holy Spirit in us is love. And joy, which is anticipation of good. Peace, which means there's nothing between us. That everything's appropriate. Patience, which means we can be in situations that make us go a little crazy, but we're okay. We don't go crazy. Kindness, which is this, which is being solicitous. In other words, you're, 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 you're prone to showing favor to people, even the ones that don't deserve it. Uh, goodness, it, it means that you're looking not just for... Goodness means that you have a suspicion. That there's something holy in every circumstance and in every person. You're not just looking for the evil. I mean, listen, the, the line between good and evil isn't just outside of us. Where they're the good ones, or they're the evil ones, we're the good ones. That, that we like to do that. We like to think that evil and good are things that we can draw lines around. But the reality is, is the line of good and evil runs in all of us. That there's parts of us that are good and there's parts of us that are naughty. Right? King James says we have superfluities of naughtiness in our souls, right? So so we realize when we're dealing with people, there's good and evil in the mix. Right? And but goodness is to choose to side with the good. It's the it's the choice to say, I, I know there's good and evil here, but I'm gonna side with the good and encourage it. Like Paul going to Athens and he walks into this demon worshiping city. You know, they're probably, you know, who knows, the, the wrong uh, political persuasion, right? So they're, they're there, and they have all of these altars to, unno- you know, to gods and stuff, and one of them's to an unknown god. And the Bible tells us that he's grieved as he walks around, and he sees this idol worship. But then he finds something good. He looks past all the stupid, all the evil, and he finds this altar to an unknown god. And he says, oh, this is evidence that God's at work in your life. See, what if, we, what if we, we looked at our neighbors and we looked at our co-workers and we looked at our family, the, the, the in-laws, the outlaws, the, all of them, and we begin to stop just writing off people because of how they act. But we say, you know, they got a lot of evil, a lot of temples of worship of weirdness, but there's something good there. And we were people who had the suspicion that good was everywhere and that we thought our job was to find it and sort of kindle it, sort of encourage it. Jesus, it says, didn't, you know, wasn't one that, that, that abandoned a smoldering wick or threw out a bruised reed. In other words, he said, no matter how badly things look, there's always hope. We're to represent that to the world. We're to come into families. We're to come into our marriage. We're to come into the circumstances of our lives and be ones that believe in goodness. Why? Because we're so wonderful? No, we're just as jacked up and weird as anybody else. It's just that we've been touched by the divine. And we ought to be honest about that. I love the story of a friend of mine, St. Louis, who tells he was back in the, uh, in the charismatic days of Lutheran church in St. Louis. And he talked about how he went down, he was the pastor, and he went down to these charismatic prayer meetings that were in the basement of the church. And uh, he would go when he was in town. And uh, he went down one particular day, and he kept seeing this guy who was with his wife that kind of folded his arms, wasn't really engaging in the prayer meeting. Well, he had seen him a number of times on this particular night. He said, he pulled him aside. He said, well, tell me your story. I said, well, my wife drags me to all these things. He said, don't you enjoy it? He said, well, I would enjoy it, but I'll be honest with you. I don't like how everybody hugs each other. Especially these men hugging men. Something's wrong with that. Okay. So, so he said, and he said, well, what is the problem? He said, you know, don't you, he said, do you not like people? He said, I don't like people. 
So I hate being around people. He's, and, then the, and then the pastor said wisely, he said, listen, he said, what if it's okay for you not to like people? So what do you mean? He said, what, what, if, what if you just started asking Jesus to start loving people through you and you didn't care about whether you like people or not? Well, what do you mean? He said, well, do you have, he said, does your wife have like any worship songs or anything? Like, that's all she listens to is those worship songs. He said, well, well, why don't you do this? When you go to work, put those worship, that worship music in it. And as you put the worship music in as you're driving to work, you just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, be honest, you know I don't like anybody. I don't like people. In fact, I can't stand them. But you want to love people. And I just want you to know, I'm willing to let you love them through me. Don't ask me to love them, but I'll let you love them through me. Right? So he told the guy this. He said, okay, I'll do that. So it was about a month before he got back there. And when he came down to the church basement, this time he's coming in with a bunch of other people. Here's this same guy hugging everybody. Just hugging everybody. Just everybody walks in. How you doing? Good to see ya. You know, kind of freaking people out, actually. <laughs> And so the pastor pulls him aside and said, what happened to you? He said, well, I'll tell you. I did just what you said. I said, putting that tape and going to work. And I started saying, Jesus, you know I don't like anybody. I can't stand people. But I just want you to know that I'm available. You can love people through me. I'm all right with that. He said, took a few days. And all of a sudden I started noticing at work. I started being nice to people. Before I know something, what they say wasn't, it wasn't offending me anymore. And I kept thinking to myself, nothing's really changed. I still can't stand them. But something's going on. Something's going on. And he said, he said, now, he said, I'm just, I'm down here hugging everybody. So I feel, I feel love come through. He said, but pastor, don't misunderstand. I still can't stand them. <laughs> Family, would to God we get this. It isn't about us. It's about us finding the spout where the love comes out and we simply reflect it to the world. Listen, we'll never have anything good going for us. You know, we're like, I think I've told you this, we're like the moon. Right? The moon, the moon has nothing going for it. All it can do is hopefully position itself so it can catch rays and spill the rays into the world. And, And depending on where it is, you get a sliver, you get a half moon, sometimes you get the full moon. And and listen, but don't be fooled. That moon doesn't really shine at all. All it has is borrowed light. That's all. If you really look at the moon, the honest truth about the moon is, it's got craters and a dark side. And family, the bottom line is, that is you. (laughs) I mean... The only hope you have is to get enough of God's presence going in your life, enough of saying yes to Jesus that you start catching this borrowed light and reflecting it to the world. Because if anybody really examines you, all you've got is craters and a dark side. But the hope of the world is for us, the church, to shine on them. Your call, the missio day, the mission of God is to moon the world. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> That's why we gather. That's why we pray. We're just trying to catch some bowed lights. And let the world be moon. God bless you.
pull that off, family. Listen, in order to pull that off, we've got to be committed to loving. See, why do I say that? Because we're in a hedonist culture. You know what hedonism is? It's, it's the commitment to pleasure. It's this decision to only let our feelings rule. How do you feel about this? What do you feel about that? Whether we're talking about our relationships, our involvement in volunteerism, our commitment in the job, how well we work on Mondays, it all has to do with how do you feel today? Well, I don't feel so good. So I'm just going to kind of waste your money today. And this hedonist society, we got this. We inherited this, sadly, from the Greeks. The whole Greek mentality in ancient, the ancient Greek world, which is spilled into Western thought, is that the way that we stay authentic, the way that we stay sincere, the way that we keep our integrity is by understanding that feelings should be the motivation of action. We're to think in a certain way until feelings come. Once the feelings come, then we act. If we try to act before we feel like acting, then that is falseness. It is hypocrisy. It is putting on action. And so we buy into this idea that it's okay to bail out of things if we don't feel like it. Sometimes we feel like a nut. Sometimes I feel like a dad. Sometimes I don't. Right? And people bail out of relationships they shouldn't bail out of all the time because they don't feel like staying in them. And they believe that staying true to their feelings is what integrity is. But family, this may surprise you. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, we're, to think, we're, we're living by a different story. The Christian story is not feel your way into action. The Christian story has to do with the idea that we are to act rightly, Period. Whether we want to or whether we don't. It's, it's a call to righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness simply means right acting. And we're to do it because it's right to do. Period. James 1 says in verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word. Don't just think about it. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do it, he says. See, theologians refer to this as praxis. It means it's what believers are called to do. You say, well, aren't feelings important? Yes, they are important. But they don't have first importance to the Christian. Feelings, we discover, the biblical rationale contends that if you do right, your feelings will line up with right actions. That they will, that the want to, to do right will eventually come when you just decide to do right. Love is a decision. Righteousness is a decision. Now, it's empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the resolve in our will. We need God's help there, to be sure. But we have to understand we cannot just be committed to feelings because if you're just committed to feelings, you will fall way short of the call for your life. There's an old story I read of a banker who decided to become a police officer. And uh, uh, he was talking about how he went to the academy and he did all this stuff. And, and the first day he's on the street uh, in his uniform, he said, <laughs> he said, to be honest, I felt like a banker who's dressing up. <laughs> he didn't feel like a policeman, but he was a policeman. And so he's walking around downtown and this huge kind of thing happened, the car problems out in the, in, the, in the street. And so just like every other person gawking, he kind of came to the edge of the street and he was watching. 
And somebody said to him, officer, officer. And he kind of looked behind him. And then he realized he's a policeman. But he didn't feel like a policeman. And he said that he went out into the street, he started directing traffic, he started taking care of the situation, and he said it was quite a while, but he discovered when he started acting like a policeman, he started feeling like a policeman. See, your feelings will follow your actions. That's why the Bible calls us to act, not just to feel. You don't just have to come down to the front of the service and shake yourself into feeling some way. You can go out and act. That's what the power of the Good Samaritan story is. Most of you have heard this story. Started verse 29 of Luke 10. This guy was trying to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, There's a guy going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, sent him away, leaving him half dead. A priest, a religious dude, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the guy, he passed on the other side. I guess he didn't have the feeling to help. And it says a Levite, who was also a religious guy, came to the place where he saw him pass by on the other side. Again, didn't feel like helping. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he comes to where the person is. He saw him and he took pity on him. Taking pity is an action. It is not a sign that he felt anything. It's just that he decided to do something. See, he goes to him, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine on him, then he puts the man on his own donkey, to, uh, the King James says ass, and took him to the inn and took care of him. Sometimes I quote King James. Notice that he notices that he asked others to get involved and to do something, not because he felt anything, not because it was convenient, but because he decided no matter how inconvenient, man, he's going to get involved. Jesus says this is the sign of eternal life. That when you're walking along and you bump into someone, you hear they're having a divorce, you just don't think to yourself, wow, you know, you really should go to the laugh your way thing and, you know, and get some help or something. Too bad you're such an idiot. It's stopping and saying, hey, why don't you let me help you? I've got some information for you. There's an event that's going on at the church. We want to help you get to that. In fact, I'll pay for it. In fact, I'll go with you. It's engaging. See, it's this idea that if we're not careful that we'll pull ourselves back. We want to push off from people and we don't... Because we're trying to be honest with our feelings, we don't get it that God has called us to act, not just feel. got a call 12.30 at night about three months ago. Woke me up. The guy said, Pastor, my daughter was just killed in a car accident. Guy that goes to our church. I got in the car, went up to the hospital, and I got out of the car. And as I'm moving toward the hospital emergency room, everything in me wanted to run. Because I thought, what what can I do? I can't do anything. You know, I, I just felt so awkward. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to enter into the thing. I wanted. I wanted somebody else to go do it. It was so uncomfortable. I didn't want to face them. But as I just did it, as I walked into that hospital room and I saw those wailing parents, wailing at the top of their lungs. Why? And I just grabbed them and I held them. And up until that moment, I was terrified. But the moment I did this, something started coming out of my soul. 
the tears, the care. I felt God loving them through me. See, if we're not careful, we'll think that what we're supposed to be doing is simply pushing off of people because we've committed to holiness and pushing off and keeping a safe distance and to judge them. Not understanding that those responses are really the response of the fall. It was in the fall in Genesis 3 and 7 that says that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. And it says the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord in the cool as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves from the Lord in the trees of the garden. See family... The reason sometimes we want to pull back from problems and pull back and hide from arguments and confrontation is because of sin. Sin makes us feel like separation is right. Not only do we want to hide because of sin, that's not the only problem that happens. The other result of sin is that there's something in us that not only wants to hide, but it wants to assign blame to people. We see that a little later in the narrative in Genesis. It says that God said to Adam, Who told you guys that you were naked? Have have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? He was trying to get him to own his stuff. And and Adam said, That woman, see, listen to the blame. That woman you put here with me. See? She gave me some fruit and I ate it. It, it, It's not my fault. It's that woman you gave. See, there's something in us that when trouble comes, whether it's on the job or in the home, that makes us want to push off from people and blame people. You remember Job's friends? Job had a mess going on in his life. He lost all his stuff. He lost his kids. He lost his health. And the Bible tells us that his friends stayed away from him for a while until they finally came to see what they told him. And that they, you know, they finally saw what, they were, what it was going on in their own minds and they came to him to tell him why he was in trouble. See, if we're not careful, the only reason we want to engage with people is to tell them why they're in trouble. And we call it discernment. Right? There's something in me that wants to look at people who are hurting and in trouble. And there's something in me that wants to think, there's a reason why they're in this situation. And, and, And I think about it until I come up with a hypothesis. And, and then I, one of the reasons I think I do that is because something in me wants to believe that if I can figure out why, why others have pain, then maybe I can guarantee myself that I will never have that pain. And that family is wrong. If I get around someone that's depressed, sometimes I'm tempted to think, hey, man, just, just cheer up. Worship the Lord. Read some Bible verses. Or, or I'll try to minimize it. If I see someone that's homeless, it's easy for me to think, man, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just get a job? And, and what's happening, I'm not, I'm not saying that, 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 that some of the things that we see aren't right. What I'm saying is, I'm confessing to you that, that those kinds of thoughts are first reactions. My reaction is not often, as I'm by myself, without God's power alive in me, my reaction is not to try to move toward them, to try to understand them, to give them what's in my hand. Uh, but it's to stand back and to keep my distance and to judge them, assess the situation and judge them. If I would have come along in that Good Samaritan story, I probably would have been the guy that was cruising by, sort of looking and thinking to myself, gosh, that guy should have been more careful. I mean, didn't he know that this part of town gets bad after dark? Right? And, uh, uh, I, but i got to get to this meeting. It's quite a distance from here. See, my, my point is, 
is that this natural penchant in us to push off of people, to not engage and get involved with people, that is something that you and I need to decide as believers is not acceptable. And we need to decide to engage. Jesus never modeled separation. He always modeled embracing. We see a sick lady who's approaching him one time, and she was a woman who had, the Bible said, a condition that when she got into public, she was not allowed to touch anyone. In fact, the scriptures demanded that she would cover her face and kind of hang her head down, and when she got near anybody, she was supposed to cry, unclean, unclean. So that people would know and back off of her. That's the way she was to engage in public. What a life that was. But she pushes that off and she hears about Jesus and she sneaks through the crowd, not crying unclean. And she has the audacity not only to push through the crowd touching them in violation to the law of God, but she pushes through and she touches the holy man. Jesus is alerted in his soul. Mark 5, we pick up the narrative. At once Jesus recognized that power had gone from him. He turned to the crowd. He said, okay, who touched me? You see the people crowding against you. The disciples answered, why why would you say who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. What what was she doing? Trembling and in fear. Why? Because she knew she had violated something socially. Told him the whole truth. But Jesus said to her, surprised her, daughter... Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This story and lots of other stories like it communicate anyone can touch Jesus. Anyone is welcome. He never demands separation. Jesus never separated people. Why do we? Why do I? There are lots of people who sort of spook me. I don't want to get near them. I don't feel safe. But Jesus moved toward the hurting. He moved toward people that would be called losers. He moved towards the people that made wrong decisions about their lives. He moved toward the sick, the poor, even the imprisoned. And he never accused them. He only moved toward them. We all know the story of the woman caught in the very act of adultery. She's caught in the very act. And Jesus says, okay, you guys that don't have any sin, you cast the first stone. They all leave and Jesus turns to her. Says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus said, go, leave your life of sin. Why don't we do this more in the church? Why, 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 don't, why, why do we sometimes feel like we have to condemn people and find stuff wrong with them? See, if I'm suggesting to you that we as the church of Jesus Christ, the strongest thing we have going for ourselves is not what happens in a service, even though thank God what happens in services. But it's when we go out into the highways and the byways, when we go out into the rough and the tumble of our lives, when we go out and we're with our marriages, our spouses, or with our children, or with whomever we're with. And we decide in those moments to not represent our feelings, but to represent the commitment that we're connected to God and that we're going to love and celebrate and enjoy people. And something in that, when we connect with them, something in that, when we push aside the sense of wanting to reject them, the natural fears, when we push aside the issue of trying to judge them, we say, no, this isn't going to be about judgment. I'm just going to give myself to this person and I'm going to trust God in the process that we can change the world. I got one quote for you. This last quote is from Frederick Ozeman. He was a guy that founded St. Vincent de Paul Society. They still worldwide distribute material things to impoverished people and try to help people. But he said, quote, Philanthropy, which is caring, the rich caring for those who don't have enough. 
Philanthropy is a vain woman for whom good actions are pieces of jewelry. It's the rich giving out help to those not so well off. He says, this is a person, the philanthropist is the person who loves to look at herself in the mirror thinking, look at all that I do. Look at all that I do. I'm so beautiful. But he says, charity is like a tender mother who keeps her eyes fixed on the infant she carries at her breast. She's no longer thinking of herself and she forgets her beauty for her love. What does this mean? When it comes to the gospel, sometimes the American church, we see ourselves as philanthropists. We think we've got to give the world the thoughts about how to be forgiven. We've got to tell them about how to receive Jesus. We need to tell them how to be prospered, how to have a successful home. And look how wonderful we are as we tell them. Or we can be the people who say, you know what? We need to pull you in. We're not, we, we need to make sure we nurse the hurting, that we touch them, that we don't separate and judge them, that we brush their faces and kiss their foreheads and take time to hold them, take the risk of holding and caring for them. One of the greatest things that I appreciate about what Mark does in the Laugh Your Way events all around the nation is their commitment to not just do those events but their commitment behind the scenes to answer people that call in. Do you know how much work that is? People calling in and setting up behind the scenes kinds of connections and developing materials. Why? Because to help hurting people, it's not just doing big things. It's pulling them in and kissing them, holding them, nursing them, loving them. God's called all of us to do it. Let's do it. God bless you.